right now, but you can make it happen. Just stop me before I get going, though, or else it'll be going. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series on the resurrection of Christ. Uh, as you guys that have been hanging with us know, this series was fueled out of this conviction that, that Easter was coming and that we couldn't just be one and done with the resurrection. Uh, we, f- we felt like the glories of the resurrection were just too numerous, too big uh, for us to do in 45 minutes or, or 50 minutes if Matt was preaching it. And, um, and so we took two months. Uh, we took two months and plus a little bit more. We're actually, we, we might do a little bit more because uh, it's just so rich. And, and we're trying to get a grasp as a congregation and as individuals and as the church as a whole um, what, uh, like what realities, what gospel implications the resurrection ought to be having on our hearts. And so we want to think through not only what doctrines come out of the resurrection, uh, but how they ought to be shaping who we are as the people of God. So, so if you've been hanging with us over this last month, um, so far you've heard uh, that, that Jesus was murdered on the cross to atone for our sins, for the sins of his people. But that shockingly he did not stay in the grave, but instead he rose on the third day. Uh, the disciples were not all composed when that happened. Uh, and, and they didn't put everything together immediately where they just got it. In, in fact, they were frazzled. They were mumbling. And, and the resurrection is actually quite curious when we get down to it. Uh, but it's also really glorious that the tomb was empty on the third day. It's, it's actually unbelievable. Uh, the, the next week you heard that the resurrection meant that Jesus is actually Messiah, Lord, and God. Jesus was the Savior and, res- and Rescuer of Israel. He was the Son of God. He was all those things. And nothing said that more clearly than the fact that the tomb was empty on the third day. Nothing could have said it more clearly. Everything he said, no matter how crazy it may have seemed at the time, no matter how radical it may have seemed at the time, and no matter how counter um, all of our, our culture um, it may seem at this time, all of that was made true as he, raised, as he was risen from the empty tomb. He was vindicated by the empty tomb. And then the last couple of weeks, you, we've worked through the biblical truths um, that resurrection means new creation and that it means that big and globally, and it's going to mean that eschatologically, like at the end of the days, everything's going to be new. And in that time, everything is, things are moving that way. But it also means, we learned last week, um, that small new creation is happening in my heart and in your heart and in the hearts of God's people everywhere. Uh, we, we learned that no one and nothing is too far for the grace of God and to, to renew and to re- recreate, and no one uh, at all is beyond the scope of God's ability to, to regenerate. And so we've seen that he does this because of the resurrection over and over to the glory, to his glory, and for the joy of his people. Today, we're going to be looking at another thing that the resurrection means. To state it most simply, the resurrection means that the missio day, the mission of God, is on. That's simple. It's on. The resurrection instituted mission in a way that it hadn't been before, and it has changed everything about life and about our purpose. Now, if you've been with Seven Mile Road for a while, even a little while, you've probably heard the word mission used a ton. Is that safe to say? I think so, right? We talk about being on mission. We talk about being missional uh, and all of us being missionaries. See, that's three different words right there. 
One thing we want people to consider before joining Seven Mile Road as covenanted members is whether they are joining the mission, okay? We want people to know that they're called by Jesus to be on mission, to announce the kingdom of heaven to their neighbors, to their coworkers, to their family, to their friends, to everybody in all that they're doing, okay? We are never looking for people that will merely fill seats on Sunday mornings. As you can see, we're out of space anyway, so we aren't looking for people to just fill seats. We're, we're looking to be making disciples, multiplying disciples that will go forth proclaiming the good news, okay? And um, we're really looking for people that will just say, wow, I've seen Jesus, I've seen the resurrected Christ, and I can't just not talk about it. I can't not do it. And, and so we want our, our hearts and the hearts of all of us here to be shaped by Christ so that we are missionaries to our culture and missionaries to in all our work, play, and serving, and on and on. Now, now I searched our website uh, to, to see how many times we actually say mission, just because I was curious as I was reading all this. So if you were to search our website, you would find 30 hits on the word mission itself, okay? And you would find 19 more hits on the word missional. And of course, that's not even mentioning all the ways that we say it without saying the word mission, because you know how Matt makes words up? And phrases and, and dictionary.com can't even help you at that point. You're like, I don't know. Sometimes I don't even ask about it anymore. I just wait for the blog post to come around. It's going to explain it all. And all of this is to say, though, that we say the word mission a lot around here. And, and we need to know why we do that. We need to know where that comes from. And we know, need to know where our desire to say that word comes from. We need to know who it applies to, who commanded it. Today, uh, we're going to find out from this text that... We, we may not get to every one of those questions, but we're going to find out from this text that mission is linked and, and closely tied to the resurrection of Christ. And it's tied to his subsequent appearances after the resurrection. Um, and we're going to find that Jesus wasted no time. It's unbelievable. Uh, after his resurrection, he wasted no time in calling his disciples to mission and to be on mission to the world. So our text is John 20, uh, starting... In verse 19, I'm going to read that to you guys, and then we're going to pray uh, that God will be with us during this time. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said that, he breathed and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pray with me. Jesus, these are your words. And we're your people. And we pray that you might be using them now to shape our hearts, to shape our lives uh, into people that can't wait to proclaim the glories of you. So be with us now, Spirit. Be be working in my words um, and be working in all of our hearts and all of our minds that we might give you tons of glory and we might get tons of joy from you, God. And then we pray. Amen. Let's get
getting more scarce, $19 now. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It's verse 19. That's where we're starting. That's going to be helpful for us because we're going to get to acquaint ourselves with the text a little bit and see what all is going on here. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, um, this is continuing the day spoken of earlier in this chapter that Matt read from earlier. Uh, So this is the the first day of the week. This is Sunday. Not only is it Sunday, it's Sunday after the Friday, uh, which which Jesus was, was crucified on. And it's the Sunday on which Mary and the others went to the tomb of Jesus and found it empty. Okay, so that's where we are. The timeline of the chapter goes like this. Okay, so Friday, Jesus dies on the cross and his body's placed in a guarded tomb. Okay, Saturday, the tomb stays guarded and the disciples are surely quite, quite torn up because Jesus is dead. Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb and realizes it is empty. She leaves to go tell Simon Peter and the other disciple who get in a foot race to the tomb. Did you guys notice that when, when Matt was reading earlier? There's literally like a foot race and, and we think... Like, John is the, the other disciple here, so he's actually kind of talking trash in this passage. So, Simon Peter got outran by the other disciple, which means, Simon Peter, I'm writing in the Gospels. They're going to be around forever that I outran you. Um, congratulations. And that would stink really bad to be, like, looked at in the eye and go, the Bible says you got outran, man. Um, can you imagine, though? Like, you couldn't kick it up a notch to, to run to the empty tomb of all the times. Come on. Anyway, regardless, they get there and the tomb's still empty. They look inside and decide that it is really, uh, that it's really empty, which takes a little bit of wrapping uh, their heads around. And then interestingly, the text says that one of the disciples uh, actually believed right then and there. Now, he hadn't put together all the pieces of theology, of Old Testament theology. He hadn't put together all the, the theories of resurrection, all the, all the doctrines of all that, but he believed. He believed right there. Um, then, these two foot racing disciples decided to head home. I just can't let the foot race go. Sorry. Um, so they decide to head home. Now Mary, who had got who had gotten them and brought them forward, and brought them to the tomb, was she hung around outside for a little while and was crying and was quite upset. Uh, and and two angels showed up. You guys have heard this part too. So she told the angels that she didn't know where they had taken Jesus, and to clear things up, Jesus shows up behind her. And she talks to him for a moment, and then she realizes that, that this is actually Jesus. And he then sent her back to the other disciples to tell them these words. I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary did exactly what he asked and went to the disciples to tell them that she had seen Jesus and to tell them what he said. So now Sunday night has arrived, and this is where our text begins. This is where verse 19 begins. So the disciples are holed up in somebody's house, and the doors are all locked. These guys were scared and didn't want to take any chances. To borrow uh, language from the Godfather, they went to the mattresses, okay? All, all gathered up. So you're really, three of you have watched the Godfather. Come on, you guys know that one. Um, they're all gathered up in one place expecting some bad stuff to go down. Now, I just want to take a minute before we go any farther to, to consider the fact that all these guys are scared to death. Um, so when I was in, when I was in college, um, and, and we'll think about their situation in a second, but when I was in college, I wasn't as, as quiet as I am today. I, I know it's shocking, but um, 
I was pretty loud and, and annoying. And, and we take football real seriously down south. I know that everyone here thinks that you take football seriously. Yeah, Pats, whatever. You don't. Um, <laughs> see, that wasn't on the manuscript. Bad things happen. Uh, anyway, I'm making fun of the Pats fans now. But no, so we take football real seriously. So I go to a Division II school, and our rival school is like 40 minutes down the road, University of Central Arkansas. Well, there's a really popular sports radio station in, in Arkansas. Uh, you know, several thousand people listen to it. It's huge. And uh, WEEI is real jealous. And, and there was this guy. He's on every afternoon, Drive Time Sports. His name's Randy Rainwater, okay? So Randy Rainwater went to our, our rival school, okay? He went, he, uh, he went to University of Central Arkansas. They always played the last, we always played our last football game against them. And um, even though it's Division II sports, I could get into it, okay? And so just be with me here. And so I would call in and talk to Randy, and I would be like, Randy, your game, the game's coming up, and I know you guys are like running a lot of, y'all are doing good, scoring a lot of points. It's not going to matter on November 14th, though, Randy. And we would kind of go back and forth, and I would get louder, and the call would end, you know, commercial break and whatever. Anyway. So we go and play them, and, and there's no way we're supposed to win. And we win. And uh, by the way, Mariah's with me in all this, and I have no clue why she married me. But um, so, so the game's over. We win. And it, like, I turn, we get in the car. We're driving home, and the radio's on. And Randy Rainwater's doing an Arkansas Razorbacks game show, post-game show, and the Razorbacks. Well, he's talking about the Razorbacks, and I'm concerned about Division II football. And... Uh, so I call in, and I say, Randy, I'm, I'm sitting outside or standing outside the, the, the truck. Mariah and a friend of mine are inside. They're listening to it on the dial. And so, so I call, and I say, hey, Randy, you know what happened in the Arkansas Tech, University of Central Arkansas game? Because we're on both sides of it. And he goes, no, this is an Arkansas Razorback show. I don't. And I'm like, well, we're going to talk about it, Randy. And, and so, do you know? You know what happened, Randy? No. I'll tell you what happened. You got dominated in every aspect of the game, Randy. That's what happened. And I just went on for a few minutes. He couldn't get rid of me quick enough. And a few months later, they, they did an on-site show, and I went to see him and uh, say hi to Randy, and he didn't really like me. But regardless, I tell you all that to tell you that there's the side of things where you can see the resurrection and get hyped and jacked about it and want to go around screaming about it, and then there's the scared disciples that are locked up in a room somewhere. And I think a lot of the times, like, it's easier to get hyped about sports. It's easier to get hyped about other things. When it comes to the, to the gospel, when it comes to mission, a lot of times we're, we're a little bit timid. We're scared. We're fearful. We don't know how to do things. Okay? And it's important for us to know before we go on, because we're going to talk about mission today. But before we go on, I just want to say that Jesus didn't take outgoing sports radio calling, poster holding, people to make his disciples and to send them forward. Now, sure, there were some of those, but the fact is these are timid people, these scared people that his spirit comes to, and they go forth, and 2,000 years later, and who knows how many miles away, we're talking about the gospel. So I just want to say that as an encouragement before we get going, because you don't have to be loud, you don't have to be boastful, you don't have to be any of those things. You have to be moved by the gospel, compelled, okay? And so if you're quiet and fearful, know that you're not beyond God's using you to reach hundreds and thousands with the gospel. He doesn't need us to be concise and confident and public speakers or even annoying, okay? He doesn't need any of that, all right? So, so it's evening, 
And the disciples are scared, real scared. We've, we've covered that now. And, and then something crazy happens. The doors are locked. The disciples are all inside. They've, they've all heard the crazy news that Jesus wasn't in the tomb and that Mary talked to him. And then Jesus came walking in, stood right next to them and said, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you was a common greeting of the day. Okay, this wasn't like a rare thing. Um, but it meant, meant much more here. First, some of these guys were around when Jesus was arrested. Some of them bailed on him, you know. Uh, you know, one of them ran away naked, right? Some bailed, some pulled a sword, started chopping off ears, right? And these were probably not the reactions that Jesus was looking for. Like, this isn't the way to start a revolution, you know. But probably this wasn't what he was looking for. And so when he comes in the room, they may be looking for rebuke. They may be looking for discipline. They may be expecting any of those things. And Jesus says, no, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And secondly, and more importantly, Jesus had promised them peace before his death. In John 14, he promises to send them the Holy Spirit to help them remember him and and the things he says. And and in that, in John 14, 27, he actually says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, uh, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And, and even more in the, prep, in the preparing of the disciples for his death in John 16, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, and they get that now because Jesus is dead. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's background to this when he says, peace be with you. There's background here, Okay. That this is the inbreaking. This is the fulfillment of all the promises that all the things that he promised before his death. Okay, and this is the inbreaking of shalom and peace and all the things that the Old Testament promised when the kingdom of God happens and comes and begins taking uh, root. And so, this peace that he's offering is founded um, there, and it's founded in the, his overcoming of the world. Okay, so because he beat death. Because the world killed him, because the world killed him on the cross, but he overcame, peace is here, and peace is talking to these disciples. He's talking to us. When he said this, verse 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Even though Jesus had just walked through either the walls or a locked door, take your pick, I don't, they're both impressive. Let's just leave it like that. He goes ahead with showing his wounds to further confirm that he is, in fact, the risen Christ. And he doesn't just show his hands either. He, he shows his side, okay? So at his crucifixion, you guys know the Roman soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Um, others who had been crucified, if they were raised from the dead, which they weren't, but, but others could have shown their hands, okay? But only one could show his hands and his side. All right? This was Jesus Christ. This was the Son of God standing before them. Now, his wounds confirmed it. There was to be no doubt that this was Jesus. He was raised from the dead, and he was standing before them. As Matt mentioned a few weeks ago, it's, it's hard for us to figure out what all is going on with the resu- resurrected body he's rocking, right? So they don't always recognize him immediately, but when he talks, they kind of do. He walks through walls. So we don't know what all is going on there. And he, yeah, he, he's not recognizable. But when he shows the scars on his hands and he shows the place on his side, the disciples got it. Okay, this 
was Jesus. And they were glad. They were glad because the resurrected body confirmed not only that their Jesus was alive, but that he had overcome death, proving that he was Lord. He was who he said he was. And their grief was now joy because he was who he said he was. These disciples were locked up, their world, and, and they were fearful for their lives, okay, because he was murdered. And their worlds were shaken beyond repair. But then he stands among them, and it all changes all over again, okay? Their grief was now joy. I can't say it enough. Their grief was now joy. And the mere sight of the resurrected Christ caused all their pain and suffering. Boom, gone. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Then Jesus speaks the same words before. You'll notice he repeats the words. He says it again, Peace be with you. Emphasizing again that peace has come. He is there. Peace is there in him. And and it's come through his death and it's come through his resurrection. Shalom is here. But he, and, and he showed them their wound, his wounds, and he continues this time. He goes farther than peace be with you this time. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus has just shown his resurrected body to the disciples, taken away their grief, giving them great peace and a glimpse of the eternal peace and joy that is to come. And the next thing he tells them is, I'm sending you. Now, now, what does this mean? Like, we have to know what this means and why he says it at this time. Because honestly, this is a really solemn moment. And he could have picked a lot of things to say right now. Like, I told you so, I'm back from the dead. Ha ha. Like, he could, have, he could have said anything, okay? And instead, though, he says, as the Father sent me, even so, I am sending you. And it's an important thing for us to figure this out. So why did he find this to be important at this moment? So he says this because... He has completed the task he was sent for. In the Gospel of John, we'll just stay in the Gospel of John looking at the purpose and and mission of Christ, but in in the Gospel of John, he mentions over and over his sending by the Father and his purpose in it. In in John 8, 29, he says, And he who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are are pleasing to him. So Jesus is saying there, I was sent to please the Father. In John 3, 17, he tells his purpose, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus became a man in order to die on the cross and take away the sins of the world. Okay? And he fulfilled all that he was called to do in his death and resurrection. And he's now commissioning the disciples. Now, not only the disciples, but all disciples to carry on his work. But there's still more here than a simple command. Because of the resurrection... The disciples are no longer of this world, okay? Their citizenship is now in the heavenly kingdom. Because of the the resurrection, because Jesus beat death, eternal life was theirs through that, through faith. Uh, While he was still, before his death, he he had called them out of the world before, okay? He called them to forsake all worldly things in exchange for the great joys of knowing and worshiping him. But in the resurrection, it was all confirmed. These disciples, these group of scared people, are no longer of the world. Their tastes and joys are now of the heavenly variety. Okay? These are now people that long for heaven 
and have citizenship in heaven. So now they have to be sent back in the world to announce the kingdom. Okay? If the resurrection had not occurred, there would be no need for the disciples to be sent. Okay? Because eternal life wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have become citizens up there. But the resurrection did happen. And Jesus did fulfill all of all the things he was called to do. So the disciples are now sent out. Their mission actually flows from his. So if there's no resurrection, there's no mission. Okay? And, and so as the Father sent him, Jesus is sending us. That's the big point of this verse, that there is a connection, a really close linking between the mission of Christ in coming to save the world and the mission he gives to his disciples, the mission he gives to us. And there's a great purpose and great gravity there, so we can't miss it. Christ rose. He was resurrected. Because he was resurrected, the global mission of God is on. And it's on huge, large scale. We're going to do it up nice, big. The resurrection means mission for all who believe the gospel. Like, you believe it? It means mission. Okay? It can't be lost on us that he chose to make this connection right now at this point. I've said it before, but we can't miss that. Jesus gathered the disciples here in this spot and visited them in his resurrected body so that he could send them Okay, and it's so he could send you and me. This means that we can't talk about the resurrection and forget about mission. Okay? Like, like we want the benefits of heaven. We want resurrection. We want sin and death and pain to be overcome. That means we get mission. Okay? That means we've got to do that. We, we can't be Christians who love the resurrection and don't do mission. We can't do that. It's not acceptable. Jesus is telling us that here. So if salvation is yours and mine through Christ's death and resurrection, mission is now mine and yours too. And this can be scary though, right? So has anybody ever been told to do something but, but not been given the tools to do the job? I'm guessing, yeah. Uh, I asked the kids in Sunday school, I was like, have you ever been asked to like maybe vacuum and not given the vacuum? And they're like, I would just go to the closet and get the vacuum. I'm like, that's not the point. Uh, had a temper tantrum uh, there on him. No. So, so that's scary for that person, and, and it's scary for everybody around us. I was actually going to make fun of Joey's first uh, like laptop he showed up with the first time um, at a pastor's meeting. Like he, he rolled it in on two wheels, I'm pretty sure, and it may have had a printer built in. It was large. Um, but last night, um, so there's this water craze, right? Like we got to have water now. And so we went to the, I went to the grocery store um, to get water, and, and there wasn't a lot, obviously. I don't know if anybody else went last night. About 9, 10-ish, there's not water there. That's why this is going for $35 right now. Um, but as I'm there, I walk on this aisle, and there's this lady, and she w- so she was a little crazy, but she commissioned somebody, and I'm going to tell you guys what this is like. So somebody, like a, a stop-and-shop employee, bumped into her with a cart, and she starts yelling at him, okay? And, and she's yelling at him, going, excuse me, do you not, did you not know you hit me or what? Or you're not going to stop and say I'm sorry? Um, or stop and say you're sorry or anything like that? And finally, the guy stops and turns around. And after she yells at him for about 30 more seconds, and he stood there, and it's okay, it was amazing. But 
after she stands there, like yelling at him for this time, she, something switches in her. I don't know what it was. Um, but she switches from this angry lady to like this commissioning lady. And so she puts her hands on his shoulders, which still questionable, right? So she puts her hands on his shoulders and she goes, this is a hectic situation. And so she's holding this guy like this. And I'm sure, like, I don't know what he's thinking, right? Like, lady, I'm going to try not to kill you. And this is a hectic situation. And you've got it in you to make everything right here. And I'm sitting there captivated, right? Like, and she goes on and, and the guy is just like, clueless. And she keeps going, you've got it deep inside. You can handle this. You can stop the craze. And he's like, not unless I have a fire hose or a taser. And, and so she's commissioning this guy, but he has no, there's nothing he can do, right? He's got a shopping cart full of no water, and people are going nuts. But she's commissioned him to this. And it was scary for him because he's got a crazy lady in his face yelling at him. And there's no water, and, and there's rioting and suing elsewhere. And so this can be scary, right? Because he didn't have the tools. He didn't have riot gear. And he didn't have water, so he couldn't handle this problem. And this is a similar situation of what, what Jesus, the situation that Jesus' disciples um, can and probably did find themselves in at the end of this verse because Jesus has made clear that they have a mission. So she told him, you got to make this situation right, okay? And he's like, it's not in my union contract. And, but she, she's given him this mission through what authority, I don't know still, but... And he doesn't have tools to make it happen. So the mission of the disciples were given here was, was to go forth proclaiming the gospel. And they were surely feeling unequipped, right? They're scared. They're holed up. It's a deal. Fortunately, though, Jesus gets their need as he does ours. And picking up in verse 22, he says, or it says this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives the disciples exactly what they needed to carry out his mission. He breathes out and they gain the Holy Spirit. Okay, the third person of the Trinity now dwells within these disciples through their faith and, and in all who believe. So in all of us, okay? Now, we can get into all kinds of theological questions about the Holy Spirit coming to them before the Pentecost. But what is most important here uh, is, is that Christ called his disciples and then he equipped them right then, right there, done. Go on mission. You got the tools. Go do it. Okay, so Christ was resurrected. We're sent people, but we're also equipped people. We're people equipped with the Spirit for the purpose of this mission. And the Spirit is given to us that we might be led in our mission to proclaim Jesus throughout the world. Then Jesus closes this, this with these words. If you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, these are really strange words if we take them just in our individualistic, relativistic world, right? So what, what Jesus is really saying here is that the disciples and the church truly working under the leadership of the Spirit will know and do as the Lord desires. Okay, so you're going to do this and live this if you're working under the leading of the Spirit. It's going to happen. And the Spirit's working in us, and, we'll, and if we allow, we'll be influential in our words and in our actions in ways that speak the truth about gospel forgiveness 
and about sin to the world around us. Now, what this verse doesn't mean is that we get to decide by, by ourselves um, what certain sins are okay uh, or decide who we will forgive. And I'm saying that because I know we're all thinking it, right? You know, that guy, he doesn't get forgiven. That's not what this is saying, okay? What it, <laughs> what it does mean is that when we know God's word and humbly and eagerly follow the leading of the Spirit in our lives, mission will be carried out according to God's plan and purpose. Now, we will see grace being extended to those all around us. And we'll see others refusing the gospel as well. And that's what's saying, what he's saying here. So we're equipped for the work set before us. And we just have to be willing to pick it up. Pick up our tools and work hard for the glory of God. That's what we've got to do. We have a mission because Christ rose from the grave. And he has sent us. And he's given us the stuff we need to do it. Now, all of this leaves us with some some really interesting questions, though. So my hope is that all of us now see that Jesus himself connected the resurrection with mission. Okay, I pray that we all see that because Christ rose from the dead, the mission of God must be carried out. Okay, and and I hope that we see that God has equipped us to do that. Okay, mission is not optional. Carrying forth the good news is not an option for us. Um, From this meeting with the disciples, on the evening of the day he was resurrected, Jesus has been sending from that time until now, he's been sending the Spirit to help us fight sin and carry out his mission. He's doing it here today. He's working in our hearts right now under his word to do that. Now, we know all of this, but we still have questions like, well, what does this mean for me? Okay, and, and can I really make a difference? And I know I dealt with some of that a little bit earlier, but let me begin, uh, like, as we're closing this out, I just want to point out that this application is way bigger than us just saying, you need to be on mission wherever you go, Okay. It's more than just adding something to your to-do list to do on Monday morning. Okay? It's not just a command. What we've heard today means that we have to be on mission. Jesus called us to it, but he's called us to more than another job, another thing to check off every week. He's called us to purpose. All right? So this idea that resurrection fuels and requires mission means that the purpose of your life and my life is wrapped up in it. Okay? It's wrapped up. In our world that denies the existence and, and providence of a sovereign God, many struggle with purpose, right? Like, you guys have heard, like, people are having quarter-life crisis and stuff like that. Um, all right? So, people want to know, what am I supposed to do with my life? My life has to be more than this. Okay? It has to be more than money and prestige and a job. And this does not cut it. And there's this severe identity crisis because we have no sense of purpose. And I've actually hung out with at least one really good godly brother in, in the gospel recently that has been coming to terms with his life, okay? What does it mean to spend all of, you know, five days a week in front of a computer screen? Like, what does that mean? And, and what does it mean that I'm on the phone with people all day long, all right? It, is that all there is? Like, at the end of the week, is it just a paycheck? And the truth is that it might be, except the resurrection happened and Jesus rose from the grave And so life is not pointless. It's about mission. And the work that this brother does, serving others, is not about answering questions, okay? It's about the gospel. And he just has to figure out what what mission looks like in that setting, okay? What what can he be doing to love and serve his coworkers and clients in a way that, that they might know Jesus? So all of us find ourselves in a situation just like this. How can I be doing my job? How can I be doing my work? 
How can I be serving those around me so that I'm announcing the gospel to them? You're not left alone to figure it out, though, okay? The Spirit is with us. Resurrection means mission, and Jesus has commissioned me, you and I, and all who love him to be on that. But Jesus' resurrection means that we have purpose, and the purpose is mission. The purpose is the proclamation of the glory of God. And so no task is, no, is too small, okay? No, no venue is left off the itinerary, and no audience is too small. We're called to mission. We're called to further the kingdom of God. And so today we just got to ask ourselves, will we do it? Okay. Will we look at the risen Christ and hear his words, as the Father sent me, even so, I'm sending you. Seven Mile Road, I plead with you to join me in hearing this call. All right, I'm coming to terms with it myself. What does it look like for me to love my neighbors? Okay, like when, when we don't, I don't even know everybody's name on my block. What, is it, what does it mean for me to love them? So, so join me in hearing that call that, that we're being sent and, and do, let's do something about it, okay? Let's send more people to plant churches in faraway cities, all right? And let's send people to, to faraway nations, all right? But let's also be a church full of people participating in the mission near us, okay? In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our workplaces. Let's be those people, okay? And let's do that because Jesus rose from the grave. you pray with me? Jesus, uh, when I look around, I, I can be somewhat real terrified at, at our world and knowing how to serve and love people for your glory for, and to be on your mission, Lord. struggle with that, and I think a lot of us do. And so I pray that your spirit might come and be working in us and help us to figure out how we can be loving our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and friends with gospel intentionality. Be working in us, spirit, to teach us what it means to be sent people, people on mission. I pray that you would you would take away all timidness, all fear, and that all grief in our lives might become joy as we realize that you rose from the grave, that it really happened. Just be with us. We beg, we pray for your grace. Spirit, be at work in our hearts. Cost.